0: Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates, episode by episode, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly. Joining us this week in the VIP tent is returning guest, Major Danny Ulrich. Hi, Danny.
1: I I bought my recipe for never fail cornbread. (laughs) Danny, you are a piece of cornbread. Uh, So (laughs) I figured, why why Chris Franklin have all the bad impersonations? (laughs) I thought I'd go one in that's reasonable that is a reasonable
0: way of looking at it. so thank you for coming back it's great to talk to you again of course you were on the show uh in season two when we talked about the incubator so thank yes. you so much for coming back thank you for inviting me back all right so yes of course danny's referring to the in the cornbread comment we're talking about season three episode six springtime originally aired on october 8th 1974 It's written by linda bloodworth and Mary Kay Place, kind of an interesting uh, set of writers for this episode of MASH. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it's directed by Don Weiss. Uh, it is, for once, a beautiful day in Korea. Spring has sprung, and each of the seven seventh has a different way of enjoying the day. Trapper wants to grab some booze, a girl, and a jeep, while Hawkeye just wants to get some sleep. Radar takes notice of a new nurse, Lieutenant Simmons, played by Mary Kay Place, sunning herself in her bathing suit. Frank and Halep's go on a picnic while Henry plays some golf. Meanwhile, Klinger gets some exciting news. His girlfriend, Laverne, has agreed to marry him. Hawkeye befriends a patient of his, Marine Sergeant Lyle Wesson, played by Alex Carris, who isn't all that bright, but is very sweet and a little too overenthusiastic. He insists on paying Hawkeye back for patching him up, despite Hawkeye saying repeatedly that this is not necessary. Wesson doesn't listen and acts as Hawkeye's manservant, going so far as to kicking people out of their seats in the mess tent to Hawkeye and Trapper, so Hawkeye and Trapper have a place to sit down. Radar tries to get to know Lieutenant Simmons, partly by pretending to read poetry. It works a little too well. Lieutenant Simmons becomes inflamed by passion, leaping onto Radar and smothering him in kisses. At the same time, Henry patches through a call to Laverne back in Toledo, and she and Klinger proceed to get married over the phone via Father Mulcahy. Hot Lips and Frank burst in, demanding the wedding be stopped because it's against regulations. When they won't let up, even after Hawkeye tells them to pipe down, Lyle takes it upon himself and picks up Frank, twirling him into the air until he's dizzy. Hawkeye convinces Lyle to put Frank down, but by then the couple have both said, I do. While everyone is celebrating, Radar walks in, looking dazed, his hair mussed, shirt open, covered in lipstick. He's not sure what's happened, but he thinks he's been slaked all right danny this is uh this is about as kind of far away thematically from the incubator as possible because the incubator of course is just one story that we follow from beginning to end and there really was no b or c plots this is really more kind of one of those grab bag episodes where it's just a bunch of kind of random things that they've smooshed together in the in the context of hey it's finally a nice day uh, in south korea and of course as we're recording this it's finally spring so we're getting a little bit of that as well of course we're all cooped up as well thanks right? to the coronavirus but uh, but why did you want to talk about this episode
1: um i mean it's not as uh deep as other episodes of mash are it's more like the, the deer you know blank uh type yes. episodes yep. where it's random episodes that you know happen it's just all within i guess you can say a day and a half maybe i'm not sure the timeline's kind of weird in this episode because i can't believe this all happens within 10 hours
0: yeah you don't uh, know how long it takes radar to to get uh in good with uh, lieutenant simmons <laughs>
1: it doesn't seem exactly. like it takes very long but that and and also the whole wedding setup. He he yeah you know Frank, I mean, sorry, Henry uh, sets up everything with the ham operator, but like I imagine that would take longer than just from whenever Laverne sent the letter, Cleaner got, uh, got it, and then um, they set everything up from there. So, this is a very light episode uh, after OR. Uh, that's the previous one, which
0: is, uh, you know, we covered here on the show. And that's, of course, one of their heaviest shows. It features no laugh track. There's Uh, There's some laughs in it, but it's one of their heaviest episodes. So I have to think that as they were preparing these episodes for production, at the very least they – scheduled this I mean obviously they uh, you know it it aired in October so it wasn't anywhere near actual spring but they wanted to kind of balance it out a little bit and so of course you have this very heavy OR episode and they have this one which is a lot lighter because basically the most significant thing to really worry about is Frank and Hot Lips uh, pulling regulations on the wedding and stopping the wedding so the stakes are
1: pretty low in this episode. Exactly and and you mentioned about uh, the two writers it was Mary Kay Place and Linda Bloodworth and you they wrote the episode before where you had your, you know, special guest star, the Red Swin, on with the Hot Lips and uh, the Arms right. uh, episode. So, you know, it, it, and they have a few more that they write. Uh, but this one, I think, is more their, you know, it's like you said, it's a lighthearted episode. It's just not as, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's it's terrible. It's just, it's not, compared to the rest of the season, if you're going to compare it against itself, that's where it kind of falls, I think. Because, I mean, it's still a fun episode but it you know the rest of the season three is so strong that that's where it comes against its weakness you know and then of course they wrote uh, a couple other episodes that are really even better than this one
0: yeah i mean oh i really love the show because i think it's very funny and i like and i like the balance of it is that you can't have you know or every every week and exactly. get really dark yeah. but i mean i like that this is you know everybody's just kind of going through their paces i said you mentioned this was episode was co-written by mary Kay place herself mary Kay place uh, has, has had a long career as an actress and a writer. She was in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, The Big Chill, being John Malkovich. She was Emmy nominated for writing this episode. Uh, and in a weird little detail, she is the voice of the Cornbread Lady. Yes. She's she's the lady that tell that uh, is that that Henry patches through accidentally, and she talks about you want my recipe for cornbread, and which leads you know Henry to say, "Lady, you are a piece of cornbread." So I guess they figured, you know what? She's here; she can do voices, so why not? We'll, we'll, we'll let her do it. And it's you know it's fun for her to write. A, I'm sure it was fun for her to write a part for herself to write this episode. And it's sort of funny you mentioned that. Yeah, they wrote the previous season's uh, episode, "The Hot Lips and Empty Arms," and yet this one doesn't really feature. Margaret at all, really, other than in a very minor role where she gets involved in – they have the picnic and then they get involved in the uh – the stuff at the, at the end and the wedding. But, I mean, it's it's really not a female-centric episode except for Lieutenant Simmons herself. So, I mean, it was kind of, again, it was fun that they could write different things. And and she has that line about, like, she doesn't eat chocolate. She loves chocolate, but it makes her break out. And Radar, of course, you know, he's like, oh, me too. He's like, well, until I became a man, which I love that. He's very sensitive yeah.
1: about that. Yeah, we, I mean, we're jumping around in the episode. But it seems like she's, like, second in charge, to nurses, because she has her own tent. Like, it looks like her tent... <laughs> is all by herself. <laughs> and then, uh, and like when they have the, Kelly brings her over to look at the volleyball uh, list, uh, all the com- players, you know, she's making notes and everything. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. radar talking to her. It's like, she's like, I'm the person in charge. And then I'll report to Major Hoolihan what's going on. You know, it's, it's kind of odd. Cause like, you never see that again in no. any other episode. It's like, it's, it's Major Houlihan and then the rest all about the scene you know yeah
0: a lot of characters in in especially in the early seasons of mash uh they have their own tent when they need to have their own tent you know like they just <laughs> when we need to have a scene that i mean maybe you figure that the that lieutenant simmons told the other nurses to clear out or something but you also get this <laughs> but you don't get the sense that that's a date exactly you know it's like, like radar just sort of showed up so you know but i don't really how how it works right. but yeah um Linda Bloodworth Thomas – who – Linda Bloodworth here. She later became Linda Bloodworth Thomason, of course. Uh, she ended up uh, writing five episodes of MASH, and then she would go on to a very, very successful career as a showrunner, show creator. She was the major creative force behind Designing Women, which, of course, ran for many, many seasons. She also did shows like Hearts of Fire and Evening Shade. She's had a very, very long career, and this is, this is early for her, but, I mean, you could see, you know, she had the stuff. You know, this is a funny episode – I, I said I, I'm sure that Gary Berghoff appreciated having so much to do, and of course, uh, this this um, episode we talked about the the thing with Klinger getting married. This becomes an ongoing storyline for the character because yes. he gets married, and Laverne becomes a character in his backstory. On and on and on. Later on, of course, they would get them divorced and stuff. But I always wonder about uh, episodes like this because clearly Bloodworth and Mary Kay Place were not on staff. They were, you know basically freelance writers. And I wonder did Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds say, hey, write this in, because I think a freelance writer would generally write an episode that doesn't affect the characters permanently. They would just write kind of a one-off. You know what I mean? They wouldn't they wouldn't stick in some detail that the other writers would then have to follow in subsequent episodes. But yet of course they you know, by getting Klinger married you're, you're altering the character in a pretty significant way. So I wonder if that was something they were told to put in. Uh, and so they have something for Klinger to do. And this is probably really the first – I mean obviously Jamie Farr had the ongoing thing of wanting to escape. But this is really Klinger's first kind of storyline. And it does feature – in the scene where he reads the letter, he's, he's in his dress and he gets <laughs> the letter. It features a relatively famous uh, sort of continuity mistake in that he when he gets the letter and he goes, ah-ha! And he starts running through the fields. Sure. Um, you see him jump up. And at one point you see that he is wearing sneakers. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I had read about They said apparently he tried to do the shot the first couple of times in, in, in the uh, outfit appropriate high heels and apparently kept breaking them uh, when he was jumping. And then finally Don Weiss said, we're not wasting money on high heels. Just wear sneakers. And you see it very briefly. And I love the way Don Weiss composes the shot because after he runs out of he doesn't run out of frame. He actually runs away, and then we focus on radar reading the the poetry, and that's when he reads the thing about slaking, and he, he's like, "Ooh, wow!" And I love that you just keep seeing Klinger in the background as he just gets further and further away, and he's still jumping up and down. He's still like, "Woohoo!" Like he keeps yes. going with it, like probably all the way back to camp.
1: I love that little detail. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that shot too. Yeah, it's just it's great. Very <laughs>
0: And then, of course, actually, first he doesn't run back to camp. He runs to find Colonel Blake, who is practicing his his, uh, his golf swing. And then he talks about, you know, I just want to go back to Toledo for a quick wedding. And you know, Henry's like, oh yeah, come on, come on. You know, <laughs> I love all that. It's such a great. It's I just I it's just such a funny, goofy thing. And he, I mean, it looks like the sound of music with the hills in the background and everything else. It's just ridiculous. The songs
1: of Korea, I guess you would yeah, say. Yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. I love all that stuff. Um like I said, I also mentioned. Uh, Alex Carris, of course, uh, he was in Blazing Saddles. that was his big credit. Uh, he also appeared sure. He also appeared in the film Paper Lion with Alan Alda. Uh, he went on to be a regular on the show Webster. He was in the movie Victor Victoria. He was a real life uh, football player. He played ironically enough football for the University of Iowa Hawkeyes. That was the name of their team. So <laughs> it all it all comes back to MASH in a lot of ways. Uh he passed away in twenty twelve. And he's very funny in this. I really I really like him. He's got that, you know, he he he's so appreciative of Hawkeye and he just can't pick up on the fact that Hawkeye just doesn't want this kind of attention. It's a really great, you know, Frankenstein's monster kind of <laughs> relationship.
1: Well, they have the line where um uh, uh the trapper and Hawkeye are walking and uh they're just looking straight ahead and then he goes The Marines behind me, and Trapper's like, Yeah, he goes, Yeah, I felt the eclipse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's very, very funny. So, I like it's a fun angle. I mean, I like the idea of, you know, like somebody being really appreciative of what the doctor does for them, which is kind of a fun idea. And I mean, it's not necessary, but I like that he thinks that he's. You know, really severely wounded, and Hawkeye's like, "It's not that big a deal. It's fine, whatever." It just, and so, and then, you know, he, he's he's a gentle giant, but then, of course, he is all too willing to use his uh, his his bulk because, you know, when he goes in and he's, he he makes Roy and somebody else get up off the table when he's like, "You guys done eating?" And Roy Goldman's like, "Nope," and then he puts his hand on him and he says. You know, well, and my mom used to say, you should get up from the table while you're still hungry. That way you don't feel so stuffed. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they get up and then he goes to get food. And then there's a great scene with Jeff, Jeff Maxwell as Igor where he says, two with everything. And, and uh, Igor says, I'm busy, fella. And he says, no, 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 no do with everything. And he just says, they're quiet. to with everything's Just what you're going to get. It's just like, so you're like, you have to wonder is Lyle like this all the time? Like, is he, you know, he seems gentle, but he's, he's obviously
1: willing to threaten violence to get his way, yes. which isn't great. Well, that's why he's a perfect for Marine. Yeah. And then, uh, as Jeff Maxwell, if you read the ending credits, he's not credit as Igor. He's just credit as server. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if they hadn't decided that was named the character or, that he is someone that is, you know, put Jeff Maxwell in that spot.
0: Yeah, I think they probably hadn't fully decided that he was an ongoing they, – they needed him in the background, but they didn't maybe know he was you. I mean, in an earlier episode in season two, he's a patient for Pete's sakes. We see him <laughs> on a bed with, like, bandages on for Pete's sakes. So they kind of did – they used him for whatever they, they needed to use him uh, on. There is a weird little uh, detail going on in the background earlier on because there's another storyline I didn't mention. It's brief about – where there's a patient in post-op who has picked up a, a cat, a wandering cat, and he won't put the cat down, and he won't talk to anybody, and obviously the guy is suffering from some sort of really bad form of shell shock or something, and they get they get Hawkeye to help uh, deal with it, which is always funny. Why would you get Hawkeye? Like, you know, why would you get like one of the get somebody else to deal with it? But anyway, but when when that scene happens, Father Mokay he goes to get Hawkeye. Out of his tent and he and he comes out of the swamp and he 's putting his robe on, and it 's on the compound, and it 's a Y chat and you see in the background there's a there's a, um, an ambulance, and two guys are presumably washing it, except you see one guy in the way off in the background, he dumps the bucket of water on the other guy's head. You just see going to the background and there's, I have no idea. I guess they're just jerking around, but you just see that. Like I didn't yeah. notice it until I saw it on the IMDb trivia. Then I went and looked. I said, yeah, there it is. The one guy, like, I guess they're just screwing around. And the one guy just, just dunks the other guy entirely.
1: I didn't read about it online, but I did. I saw it watching it to prepare for this episode. Cause like being uh Abrams and uh, you know, from the F1 guys, you know, watching stuff in the background on mm-hmm. shots sometimes it was very similar to that, 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 you know, Something's going on in the background while in the foreground. These are what you're supposed to be focusing on. But it's like, what the heck is going on in the yeah, background? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's <laughs> I, going I, with these guys? Yeah, I guess Don Weiss maybe just told those guys, just screw
0: around or something like that. So um, <laughs> I should mention the the actor playing the, the, the soldier with the cat is named Greg Mabre. He had uh, not a lot of credits. This is actually – uh, he, his next to last credit, he would come back and mash season five as another soldier, and that would be his final credit. He was in shows like Room 222, Shazam, and All in the Family. Uh, also making a, a final appearance in this episode is Sheila Lawrenson as Nurse Sheila. She would, she had an ongoing uh, character as Nurse Sheila, she would appear in random episodes, and this is her final appearance on the show. They never really gave her a whole lot to do, but this is this is it for her. Um, there's a couple other weird little things from Hawkeye. One is that when they go into the tent, they go into the swamp, and they see that it's full. He refers to that the, that the mess tent got a five star review in the Michelin Guide, <laughs> and for the for many years, I never knew what he was saying. I was like, "What's Michelin?" And everybody they're talking about Michelin, the Michelin right. food guy. But I never, I've never heard anybody say mi- Michelin. Like, I guess is he trying to make it sound fancier? Like it's like it's French or something? I was always for for many years, I never knew what Hawkeye referred to. I was just like, what a weird way of pronouncing that word.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, it just whatever it's supposed to be like. A, hey, this is a fancy you know five star restaurant. So yeah, I don't know why he uses that type of pronunciation. Well, this whole. Episode. There are some lines that are ADR'd in, and it's very telling when you watch it without the laugh track, because then you can really hear the audio quality difference Mm -hmm, versus like watching with the laugh track. Because then the the laugh track kind of drowns out that sound a bit. Um, so yeah, with like the scene where Fonda McKeighy's grabbing Hawkeye, there's a line that Fonda McKeighy says as they're walking in, but you can tell they had to add that in. Mm-hmm. And then with the patient with the cat, and then I know we'll get, like I said, we've been jumping around. You know, Hawkeye mentions they we should bring someone in to talk to him, and they never call Sydney. No, <laughs> be busy. You know, I don't sure what was going on, or you know. So, but then again, this is still early in the show. You know, they didn't really establish that. Hey. We have a character that can come in and help soldiers like these, you know, and we can bring him in if he's available, you know.
0: Yeah, they never really deal with – after they get the cat away from the guy and then he, he tries to strangle Hawkeye and then it's it's Lyle who comes in and gets him, gets him free. They really don't deal with him. They say he says, Mr. Quack, some sedation here, and that's pretty much – that's it. You don't see the guy again. They just sort of – it's not much – it's just a little side bit. It's not even like a – it's called like a, like a D story. you know. It's such a minor little thing. Um, it is – and during that scene where you mentioned where Father Mulcahy gets Hawkeye up out of bed, he, Hawkeye refers to his dream as being a rerun. And that is a little out of – that's a little bit of anachronistic because at that time television was only done live. So there was no thing as a rerun. I guess maybe if you want to be generous – you could say that maybe shows were rerun on radio and maybe Hawkeye was referred to that, but the, but the term rerun was just not in the common parlance in 1951 or 52. So that's a little bit, it's <laughs> a little bit, uh, uh, out of time, but it's, you know, again, it's, I never noticed it until I, again, I read it on IMDb. The scene where uh, I like it where the scene where radar is contriving, a way to talk to Lieutenant Simmons and he's coming up with this thing where he's measuring the camp and he's literally walking across the camp with a tape measure and I never went that far to talk to a girl but I did do some really contrived things to try to talk to a girl I was interested in so I could appreciate Radar's you know, desperate attempt to just find a way to speak to Lieutenant
1: Simmons. It doesn't seem like it's the the camp's very big if he mentions no. the, the square footage. I'm like, um, that's not even the size of a house. I yeah, think, he know. says
0: the, he says we're two thousand nine hundred eighty six feet. Like that is not very that is very small. That is a very small camp. So I mean, obviously, uh, I think radar is not paying too much attention to you know his actual square footage because that, that's a very very tiny camp.
1: Yes. And then, and then of course he asked for a movie because based on their, uh, Trapper and Hawkeye's recommendation to, you know, ask a girl out to a movie. And then um, of course they said they get two cents of royalty every time someone asks a girl out to a movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then he mentions let's go see the first born of Godzilla, which <laughs> of course. There's no Godzilla film in 1951 or 1952, whenever this is supposed to be. Let let alone sequel, let alone multiple sequels by this point. There is no Bride of Godzilla.
0: Again, it gets added to the list of films that only exist in the MASH universe that I wish – I wish did, you know, a mom pocket, will have a baby and, you know, the thing that ain't the Bronx. I mean, I, that would be a great MASH film festival to have. It would just be really, really fun. But I love, and I, I, I love the whole line about the, I saw the original way before Godzilla ever got married. <laughs> great. Um, and then since he has the date with Lieutenant Simmons, he comes over, he brings his book of poetry and, uh, you know, of course, Radar has absolutely no idea what he's reading uh because he just doesn't understand and the poem that he reads is like the most least romantic poem ever because it talks about upchucking and stuff like he has no yes. idea what he's reading i just i love it it's he, he might as well be reading it phonetically for while, how much he understands the language
1: <laughs> well i had to look up because i didn't know if he was an actual author but i guess it is a rupert uh brooke who is a poet yeah and he was known for his uh, so like an Ernest Hemingway of poetry because it was like military uh, style. Oh, really? Okay. Stories, and that at least that's what I looked up online and some of the stuff I saw. You know, and that that was something that he wrote. You know, and I guess it was a wartime. You know, on a ship. I guess it was supposed to be. You know, on a colonial ship, and <laughs> yes, that's why they're talking about upchucking and everything, which of course. <laughs> <laughs> Turns her on even more after right. eating some chocolate. It's like what? I love it. She's
0: such. A, she's a genuine weird nerd girl, which I love it. I mean she 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 would do well at a comic convention. Now she would be great. She'd be doing cosplay. She'd be into all this stuff. She's really. I like. She's in her little. Her red kimono. She looks very fetching. She's got her big glasses, and then you know, of course, it turns heavily where she just jumps on him and she calls him a little heartbreaker. There ought to be a law against guys like you. And he's like, "The lieutenant, you're bending the book, which is by ruptured brook," as he says, as he calls it. So yes. it's 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 really fun. It's it's this great you know nerd romance, and you know she just has her presumably has her way with radar. We don't exactly don't exactly know what that entails because later on radar talks about that he is still a virgin, but. Of course, it's. You know, we maybe radar doesn't even exactly know what happened. So he's just, he's so overwhelmed by by her. It's really fun. It's 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 very silly. Very high comedy. And as I mentioned, it, it it works well coming after the heaviness of some of the previous episodes, just to have something so over the top as this scene. So right. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> and then that leads to the uh, the wedding uh, where we clingers in a wedding gown. I wonder where he got that. There's the whole bit about you know again the, the piece of cornbread and stuff. And then I love it. I absolutely. It, it's almost my favorite line. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. My favorite line. It's it's almost my favorite line. But when. Klinger, I mean, excuse me, Um, Hawkeye and Trapper show up to the wedding, and they're dressed up, and uh, Trapper has like, t- that tiny little top hat on his head, and he comes in, and he brought them flowers and stuff, and I love that when, when uh, Lyle comes in, because he's getting ready to ship out, and he wants to find Hawkeye, and he just pauses, and he looks, and he just sees everybody dressed up, and he sees Klinger in a wedding dress, and he just goes boy, you guys throw some weird parties. I just, <laughs> a little down He's just like, what am I in the middle? But I like how accepting he is of it. He's just like, okay. It's, a, it's not something a Marine would be familiar with. A guy in a dress, Hawkeye in a tux, Trapper in some sort of weird outfit. I just, I, I think Alex Kairos' read on that line is, ter-
1: is just terrific. Yes. And that leads into my favorite line coming up because then, uh, you know, Frank and Margaret come in and they're protesting everything that's happened during the day. You know, they're, they're going to report all this because there's somebody marrying someone he's in a dress and there's nobody there. There's a cat running around in the hospital and you got a, a big oof that's bullying everyone around. They said, um, so of course, um, she, you know, they all tell her to shut up. And then, you know, Frank's like, are you going to let him talk to you? Well, Margaret asked Frank, are you going to let him talk to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, Frank's Frank's
1: really no help at all in this oh, in these situations. No. Uh, and then uh Margaret tells, you know, Clinger, you have uh, some nerve wearing white and then it comes to my favorite line with Clinker goes jealous. <laughs> And, like, and then Margaret looks so offended. She just says that
0: yes. she like she purses her lips a little. And they have, right. It's great. It's a great. It's a great moment. I, it, it, the whole thing is funny. That cling. And then Hawkeye says, "Well, this is problem night. Kids have been saving up all year for this. So just <laughs> that's fantastic." And then said Lyle uh, says he wants to be a pen pal with Hawkeye, and Hawkeye does give him his information. He sees that he writes <laughs> it down, even though he says, "I write everything in prescription. So you know, I highly doubt that they kept up. Uh, being uh, pen pals, but he does, you know, he does give, does give Lyle his home information, presumably. Uh, and that leads to the whole scene of, uh, you know, Frank saying he's going to report all this. And, uh, Lyle picks up, uh, picks up Frank and leading to Margaret's great lines, put him down. You can't twirl an officer. And, uh, during that moment where everyone is standing off watching this, we see the fourth wall of Henry's office, uh, I don't know why that fascinates me so much, but it always does. I love it when they bother to put up a fourth wall. and We get to see that, you know, what, what Henry has on that side of his wall. And I also love, too, that when when Lyle sort of leans over to pick up Frank, both Hawkeye and Trapper and Klinger get out of the way immediately. Like, they immediately know what's going to happen, and they, they clear the frame immediately. <laughs> it's, it's
1: great. And and I do appreciate uh, Lyle Linville's, uh dedication to it, because you you his acting, you can see he intentionally gets himself caught up in the in the streamers that across the roof or the, or the ceiling <laughs> right. of his frank's uh henry's office and he gets himself all tangled up and everything and then the whole part once lyle puts him down after margaret yells at him he just kind of slumps into the corner <laughs> like all disheveled like his whole world has been turned upside down and he's just got this dazed look on his face you know it's it's very good acting by him and i, I do appreciate that the uh, extra mile he took it's very very funny yeah and very silly uh it leads to the there's a line where
0: i have to wonder is it a reference to blazing saddles uh although this this episode probably was filmed mid 1974 so maybe blazing saddles was just not blazing saddles came out that same year but it might not have been famous enough because of course as as mongo um you know he talks about mongo bad and then here he (laughs) says kyle bad kyle do bad things and Hawkeye's like, no, no, Kyle good, Hawkeye bad. And then he gives this look of Trapper of like, that, what the hell is going on here that no, he's talking to? And it, it, you can't help but think it's a reference to, to Alex Karras as Mongo. But I just didn't – I mean, was Blazing Saddles in the pop culture enough that they would refer to it like that? I, I That seems a little unlikely to me.
1: I'm not sure either because I think Blazing Saddles came out first before Young Frankenstein. Yes, it did, yeah. I, yeah, so I want to say that was spring for – Spring time for, uh, Blazing, <laughs> for Blazing Saddles, and I think, in, in late summers when uh, Young Frankenstein came out. So I think that's right. It's hard for me to remember way back when I was very young. So
0: <laughs> No, I think that's right, though. But, yeah, I mean, so this yeah. – I mean, Blazing Saddles would have been out at this point or had come and gone, and and it was a huge hit. But it just seems that when they wrote it, it would seem hard yes. to believe. It. But at the same time, you've got Alex Karras saying the same exact line at two different things. So you have to wonder <laughs> if there's something in it, some connection there. Uh, you mentioned your favorite line, my favorite. Uh, I, I do love the line about, uh, you know, When when radar says, "Oh wow, take a girl to the movies." That's a great idea. And then Trapper says, "Thanks, we invented it." And then Hawkeye says, "Yeah, we get a two cent royalty every time a (laughs) a guy asks a girl out to a movie." I just think that's a great line. But my favorite, just one off joke, is when Frank and Hot Lips come into. Henry's office and Hawkeye mostly just to entertain himself just goes Scott Zelda which I think is funny I just like Hawkeye's little pop culture references I just they they just make me laugh I just love the way he says that Uh, and it's it and then we get this final scene where uh, uh, it's it's the spring has now ended and now we've got these heavy showers coming down and radar shows up and they they start joshing with him about that his skin is cleared up and he's you know obviously sort of you know post- Uh, having had sex for the first time. And he talks about that he's got a friend and it's a girl and stuff like that. And they really start sort of, you know, picking on radar a little bit. And they talk about, look, he's blushing. And this scene, um, I never saw this scene until um, the DVDs. This scene was always, in my version, this scene in syndication, this scene was always cut. The show just always ended with the wedding, with the I do. So, I mean, this is, I, I have talked about in previous episodes that on the DVDs, it felt like I was seeing you know, brand-new footage, and it was fun. So this scene is is something I'd only been familiar with in the last couple of years.
1: Yes, uh, same thing. Yeah, I haven't seen that until I had the DVDs as well. So, And even uh, – we didn't mention it at the beginning. I wanted to go back. Um, right when they bring Alex Karras in to an OR, there's a doctor that suddenly takes over because Hawkeye tells the character, hey, take over for me. And there's a doctor that comes in and finishes up for Mm Hawkeye, And he has no lines or nothing, so obviously he's not credited. But it's like, okay, so there is a fourth Doctor that we never (laughs) see, or a fifth Doctor. Fifth Doctor, yeah. is seen. you know, when another character has to be out of the scene and off camp somewhere or something. So obviously there's someone there that comes in every once in a
0: while. (laughs) Yep, there's some – yeah, there's George or whoever it is. It's it's some – Doctor that they can, they can, they can, he just sort of stands around and does nothing, but then he can fill in when they need him to. Yeah, he's, he's the, uh, like the Chuck Cunningham of MASH, you know, he just yes. sort of comes and goes when they, when they need him or stuff like that. So, yeah, I, they, that's always, I always felt like it's a little bit of lazy writing that they just sort of insert this doctor no one's ever familiar with. Maybe he's the dentist or something. I don't know. He
1: could do something like that. So, no surgery, uh, whatever they might need for that week. <laughs> yeah, whatever they need him to do. So,
0: yeah, otherwise, said it's, it's a really fun episode. Yeah, it probably when you, when you compare it to some of the real masterpieces of season three, like o r or Officer of the Day, or on the more silly side like Adam's Ribs and certainly like Abyssinia Henry, yeah, springtime seems a lesser episode but it but it it you need it for tone you you, you right. can't have you know, super heavy issue episodes every week. So it's nice to have something light and frothy, give something, something for radar to do. It's and again, it's a nice guest spot turn for Mary Kay place. She's very funny and we we never see her again. Presumably she's transferred out. So overall it's a really, really funny show.
1: Right. And I mean, and it's still a historical episode because it, it, gives Klinger a backstory right. more so that carries through the whole series yeah you know, that, they would they would so. work through that yeah they
0: would they would get multiple episodes out of that whole storyline and stuff like that so yeah it's right. it's a big episode for for james Bufar. he must have been thrilled when he got that script <laughs> and get, it's like yeah. wow i get a thing to do this is great you know so yeah overall it's a it's a very 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 funny show so well danny thank you
1: so much for stopping by again you know I always enjoy talking to you and, and thanks for doing the show again Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me back. Uh, I'd love to talk anything in season four. I'm always ready for it. Absolutely. So uh, tell people where they can find you over on uh, Twitter. I know you're on there. So
0: what's your handle over there?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, DSUNO1971. Um, I don't tweet a lot. I more just uh, respond to people. If you have a question for me, I'm kind of in the same thing that most everyone who listens to this channel is into movies, TV, comics, uh, pro wrestling. If you very really want to talk about pro wrestling, I still follow <laughs> that. Um, but you know, I, I'm mostly nerdy stuff, just like everyone else on this channel. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always up for anything that you you know, anyone wants to talk about or just ask me a question or I'll, I'll retweet something that, you know, I find funny or interesting.
0: Very cool. All right. You heard every, you heard that, everybody. Go follow Danny over on Twitter. Of course, you can follow this show on our website, which is FireAndWaterPodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Stitcher. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter, which is at MASH477CAST. And if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash And over there, you can unlock uh, various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Adam Sanders, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, and Suzanne Holland for their support of mashcast and finally one last thing i need to mention um these shows especially the early ones in season three for me have been kind of recorded out of order and so the timeline gets a little strange and in the debut episode of season three i talked about uh, the passing of gene reynolds uh, since he died over the summer but i did not mention two other members of the mash family that we lost at the time and because When I recorded those shows, uh, they had not passed away, but they have now. And I want to make, just take a moment to, uh, say nice, some nice things about two members of the team that we've lost. Kelly Nakahara, who of course played Nurse Kelly, and Timothy Brown, who played, uh, Spearchucker on the show. They both have passed away in their intervening years. And that's, it's a sad thing. We're losing members of the MASH family. They were both, Kelly Nakahara, of course, obviously was, was, very big on the show, probably the, the closest to Sidney Friedman as like a, you know, sort of an additional cast member that never was quite official, but she was great on the show. We loved her as Nurse Kelly, and it's, a, it's a, just a huge loss that she's no longer around, and he said the loss of Timothy Brown, who uh, was on the early, was in the MASH movie playing a different character, and then also in season one, and was that fifth doctor that you talked about, Danny, <laughs> it was that, that, that doctor that they sort of never really bothered with after in later seasons, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad things. So, So so rest in peace, Timothy Brown and Kelly Nakahara. So that is going to do it for this episode of MASHcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, that is all.
1: Please, I can still see your face.